2 Corinthians, Paul tells us that we have a transformed life. It's a new life found in Christ. Paul says in Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. Before Christ, I found my identity in this world, but now I have been transformed by the grace of God. Paul now urges us to not conform to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. By the Holy Spirit, all this is possible, and I pray that I continue to grow, that I might live out what He has done in me. But I ask the question, how do I put on the new self and put off the old? And what does it mean to renew our minds? If you have your Bibles today, I'd like you to turn to me, if you would, to the book of Romans in chapter 6. When it comes to the transformed life, you can't get a much clearer put than what Paul said to the Romans here. We have been transferred from death to life. And this is the way Paul recorded it in Romans 6, beginning in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lived, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Let's pray for a moment. Father, I want to thank you today for this truth. I have a lot to learn about this. In many ways, after walking with you for so many years, I feel like I'm just beginning to learn the joy of a transformed life. So God, as we, we open your word today, speak to us. You don't want any of us leaving here today the same. You want us to see you different, ourselves different, our world different, and what it really means to be a Christian. You want us to see that differently too. 
And so we thank you, God, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. There are a lot of people looking for a transformation in their life for a whole variety of reasons. And where people are turning more and more is to the growing spa industry in the United States. I was reading an article by Kate Zernike who uh, had an article out of the New York Times called The Spaification of America. The International Spa Association reported that in 2000 there were 473 spas across the United States. In, in 2004 there were 1,662. Today, in 2016-17, there are over 20,000 spas across America. The article said spas are offering exotic treatments from uh, indigenous to their location from lava rock massages in Hawaii, papaya scrubs in the tropics, grape seed facials in Sonoma, I have to go try one of those, and a maple body wrap in the Northeast. In Arizona, a Native American shaman guides clients through meditation, smudging their bodies with sage, sweet grass, and cedar. Now, I'm exposing my ignorance, but when I read sweet grass, I thought, don't they put that in Jamba Juice? I don't know. Anyway, Disney's Saratoga Springs Resort and Spa offers an experience for the whole family. Girls as young as four can join their parents for my first manicure, my first pedicure, my first facial. The spa at Pennsylvania's Hershey Park offers their signature chocolate fondue wrap. <laughs> Anthropologist Robbie Blinkoff attributes the spa phenomenon to a desire to experience something of lasting value. Blinkoff says people feel ready for a transformation. And growing numbers of people are looking for that change. But the problem is what they're finding at the spa doesn't last. It's temporary. And what they're also discovering is what they find at the spa is not a transformation. It is just a makeover. And there's a big difference. A makeover changes your outward appearance for a season. A transformation changes you forever into a person you were not before. Spas and beauty shops and new wardrobes can help you with a makeover, but only God can bring about a transformation. That's what Paul was telling the Romans about the joy of a transformed life. We are entering week four. We're at the halfway point of our series, The Abundant Life, living the joy of relationship with God. So far, we've learned that the abundant life has nothing to do with the money we make or the health we have or the circumstances we face or the things we possess. The abundant life that Jesus is offering has everything to do with the abundance of God in our life and we in him. We learned a couple of weeks ago that that abundant life that God produces results in a fruit that God produces, an upward fruit of worship where God becomes central to everything, an inner fruit of Christ-likeness where we become more like him and an outer fruit of mission and evangelism and service that glorifies God and impacts the world. Last week, we saw that the abundant life is lived out in the joy of a life of love as we love God and we learn to love others. And it proves that we are Christ's disciples. But all of this abundance, Jesus teaches, flows out of a person 
who's been radically transformed by God. We can't produce this life on our own. God produces it. And when a person is transformed by God, they become different people. They may look the same, but they are not the same. They have been transformed, which is why Paul told the Romans of this transformation that people who live the abundant life are people who live the joy of a transformed life. And what is the transformed life? It doesn't get any more radically contrasted than right here in Romans 6. It's a life that is dead to sin and that is alive to God. People who live a joy of a transformed life are people who live dead to sin. Paul put it like this in Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Most of us, if we're honest, would not say that our lives are a model of what it means to be living dead to sin. In fact, most of us still struggle with it, if we're honest. In fact, our experience probably aligns more with a classic leadership magazine cartoon I saw by Mary Chambers that shows two couples seated in a living room having a Bible study together when one of the women speaks up and says, well, I haven't actually died to sin, but I did feel kind of faint toward it once. (laughs) That's more of our experience. We don't feel dead to sin. In fact, we still struggle with it. You see, being dead to sin means sin no longer has control of you. Sin can find nothing in us to use. That phrase, dead to sin, as far as sin is concerned, we are dead to it. It can no longer get a hold on us. We're dead to sin. That's what Paul was describing as true for those who have been transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus. That's why he said in Romans 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? There are people who are saying, you know what? If we sin a lot, then it makes God's grace shine brighter. So why don't we go on sinning so we can make his grace shine even more? And Paul said in a rather loose translation, what are you, nuts? By no means. We are those who died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Verse 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with or rendered powerless, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. You see, in regards to sin, we are dead. Once we were dead to God, but alive to sin, but no more. A transformation has taken place. Now we are dead to sin, 
Sin no longer rules over us. It no longer controls us. It's no longer our irresistible master. You see, when Jesus came to live in us, we became new people. We died to self, and now we live for God. In fact, he lives in us, and our life is hidden with Christ in God. This is what Paul was writing about in Romans 6 when he said, don't you know you were baptized into Christ? That spiritually you were placed into Christ when you believed. You were identified completely with him. You were immersed into his life. That's why he said in Romans 6 verse 3, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You see, when you became a Christian, you were baptized in the Holy Spirit. You were placed into the body of Christ. When you are water baptized by immersion, you are giving a picture of what happens spiritually. So there you stand in the water of baptism, identifying with Jesus being lifted up and dying on the cross. You're baptized into his death. His death is your death. When you go down underneath the water, you are testifying that I have been immersed into Christ. His burial is my burial. I no longer live. When you come up out of the water, you are testifying that in Christ, just as he was raised from the dead, so too you are raised from the dead. His life is now your life. That's what it means to be a Christian. Sin and death has no more hold on Jesus. Sin and death has no more hold on us because in Christ we are dead to sin. That's why Paul said in Romans 6 verse 5, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You see, sin can't touch Jesus. It can't affect him. And death can't either. It has no mastery over him. Death has no mastery over me anymore. Death might destroy my body, but it can't touch me. I can't die. I have eternal life. I have Christ living in me. Count yourself dead to sin and alive to God, Paul said. Reckon yourself. It's literally a numerical calculation. Add it up, Paul's saying. My life in Christ now adds up to the fact that I am in him dead to sin. This is why Paul told the Colossians that they could live different because in regards to sin, they've been transformed. So we need to set our mind and heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Colossians 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. 
For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Amazing. Since sin has no mastery over you now, Paul said, put to death those things that you used to do. Don't give yourself over to those opportunities. Don't let these things control you anymore. What things? Colossians 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Look at all these things you don't have to give into anymore. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. All of these things are just examples of self-worship. That's why people do those things. But we don't worship self anymore. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of things such as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator." Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're a Christian, it's the same for everybody. That's why Paul told the Romans, you don't have to give yourself over to sin anymore. You once did, but you don't anymore. Romans 6, verse 12, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. People, why would anyone, much less a Christian, want to offer themselves to be an instrument of wickedness for any reason? Why would they want to do that? Why would they want to go back into the very sin they once asked Jesus to save them from? Well, the only conclusion you can make from the Scripture is either they don't know Jesus or they don't love him. And many times, people give themselves over to sin without even knowing they're slaves to it. People, the truth is, some people don't surrender to Jesus because they want to control their own lives. They want to call the shots. It's the lie Satan got Adam and Eve to believe in the garden. You can be as God. You can run your own life. You can call the shots. You can be in charge. See, what people don't realize is that no one is in control of their own life. Let me say that again. No one is in control of their own life. How do I know that? Because God said so. He said we're either slaves to sin and serving Satan, or we are slaves to righteousness and serving God. There is no other choice. No one is in control of their own life. They're a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. Either Satan or God 
is the master. Paul told these Christians, sin and Satan doesn't master you anymore. God does. That's why he said in Romans 6 verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God in righteousness. Who are you a slave to today? I can assure you, you're not in charge of your own life. So now when temptation comes, we don't have to give in to it. I used to, but I don't have to anymore. We can turn to Jesus and find a way out. Remember what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Nothing new under the sun. Satan's using the same old tricks because they work. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. I didn't used to have that way, but now I do. I used to have to give in to temptation, but now I don't because sin's not my master anymore. God is. Now, will I always choose God in those moments? No, we won't. I don't, you don't. We still sin. We struggle with it. But there's a difference between occasionally sinning and falling and being deceived and giving in to that weakness on occasion and being slaves to sin. We still sin, but we're not slaves to it anymore. Now when we sin, we have one who cleanses and restores us to righteousness because we admit that sin is wrong and we look to God for help. And as we learn to do that, he gives us strength so that we can resist the temptations even more. 1 John 1, verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Dave and Pam Parsons, who co-authored this week's devotionals in week four, put it so well when they wrote, with God's help, we can put off that old life, the negative self-image, the sinful behavior, the harmful relationships, the bad habits, and the past pain. Sometimes those shackles from our past drop off easily. Sometimes it's more like peeling off a pair of soaking wet skin-tight jeans, a real struggle. But whatever it takes, get them off. We are no longer under their power. God will help us. He wants us to be free from the old identity. And when we realize that God considered us worth dying for, we know he intends for us to flourish as we put on our new identity as his children, forgiven and beloved. People, I used to try in my days without Jesus to stop sinning once in a while because I get so sick of the way I was living. But I couldn't do it because I was a slave to sin. I had no option. 
I didn't have God in my life. But now I do. And I have to tell you honestly, I don't want to sin anymore. I don't want to sin anymore. I now see behind those same old temptations what's waiting, the sin and the death and the heartache and the destruction. I don't want that stuff. I don't want it in my life. There's nothing Satan can offer me that's more attractive or better than what God is offering me. So it's a matter in the moment of what am I going to give myself to? Who am I going to give myself to in those moments? Sometimes I don't choose right. Sometimes I get deceived. Sometimes I'm stupid. And sometimes I sin. But I'm not a slave anymore. I can come to God and confess those things and he gives me forgiveness and he teaches me to be stronger the next time. See, that's why Paul wrote in Romans 6, verse 20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Boy, is that true. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. People, that's the joy of living in relationship with God. That's the abundant life. The joy of a transformed life that's living dead to sin. And not only people who are dead to sin, but people who live the joy of a transformed life are people who are alive to God. Paul said in verse 8, Romans 6, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God in the same way. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather... Offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Ritual, religion, human effort cannot bring about this new life and transformation. I was reading a piece by Debbie Zahn from Sandwich, Illinois about a farmer, I believe this to be a cute story. I can't imagine this is true, but she used this to illustrate the point I'm trying to make. Only God can transform. Listen to what she wrote. When Ole quit farming and moved, he discovered he was the only Lutheran in his new town of all Catholics. That was okay, but the neighbors had a problem with his barbecuing beef every Friday. They were not allowed to eat red meat on Fridays, but the tempting aroma was getting the best of them besides themselves. They got together and confronted Ole. Oli, they said, since you're the only Lutheran in this whole town, and there's not a Lutheran church for many miles, we think you should join our church and become a Catholic. Oli thought about it for a minute and decided they were right. Oli talked to the priest, and they arranged it. The day came, the priest had Oli kneel, he put his hand on Oli's head, and he said, Oli, you were born a Lutheran, you were raised a Lutheran, and now, he said, as he sprinkled some incense on his head, 
you are a Catholic. Both Oli and the neighbors were happy. But the following Friday evening, the aroma of grilled beef was still wafting from Oli's yard. The neighbors went over to talk to him about it, and as they approached the fence that separated their yards, they heard Oli talking to the steak. You were born a beef. You were raised a beef. And now he said as he sprinkled salt over the meat, you are a fish. People, rituals and words and religious ceremony have their place, but they won't change beef into fish. They won't change Lutherans into Catholics. And they won't move people who are dead in sin to be alive in God. Only God can do that. Only Jesus can transform us from death to life, and he does it when he comes to live in us. That's why Paul wrote like he did to the Christians at Rome. He told them it isn't enough to know you are dead to sin. That's not the focus. The focus is that you've come alive to God. Romans 6, verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You see, at one time, we were alive to sin and dead to God. But now in Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God. The transformation has happened. Before, we had no relationship with God. Sin separated us from God. Therefore, we had no life. To God, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. There was no relationship. But now in Christ, we're a new creation. We've been transformed. People, for an old sinner like me, I gotta tell you, this verse has meant more to me than almost any other through the ages. It's full of such hope. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Amen? Anybody happy with that? The old is gone. The new is here. So radical is the change that Paul told the Galatians that he didn't even live anymore. Jesus lived in him. Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's why Paul told the Romans in Romans 6, verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin, no longer has a hold on him. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. 
For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. What does the transformed life look like when you count yourself dead to sin and alive to God? Dave and Pam in the workbook this week in our devotionals, each of the days covers an aspect of the transformed life. They've done a masterful job of this. They tell us this week in each of the days, we've been transformed in our identity. We are new creations in Christ, children of God, made to be like him. We have been transformed in our mind. We can think like Jesus. We are transformed in our speech. We can talk like Jesus. We are transformed in our activities. We can live like Jesus. And we are transformed in our faith that we know and trust God like Jesus. You see, that's why Paul went on to describe to the Colossians what this new, holy, chosen life looks like when you are clothed with this transformation of Christ. Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This is Jesus living out through you. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. People, that's being alive in Christ. It's not you living, it's him. Through you. Paul goes on in Colossians 3 to talk about how this transformation affects the relationship between a husband and a wife. He goes on to talk how it affects the relationship between a parent and a child. Even between slaves and their masters. And then between believers and an unbelieving world. People, this is radical transformation. Dave and Pam put it like this this week. From the moment we believe the gospel of Jesus, God declares us righteous in his sight. That means clean on the inside. It changes everything. It's our new identity. Our relationship with God is restored. Through faith alone, we are granted transformation from guilt, sin, and from being enemies of God, doomed to eternal punishment, to new life, clean, forgiven, and filled with the righteousness of Christ. Instead of being destined for hell, we are predestined for eternity in heaven with God. We are his, and he is ours. This fulfills the purpose for which we were created. And now we can experience the abundant life. Romans 6, verse 11, in the same way, 
count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. People, this is why our memory verse this week is all about being transformed by God, not being conformed to the world. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, Pam and Dave reminded us this week. But what is Romans 12 too? It's our memory verse. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You'll be a different person. God will be living his life in you. We will be alive to God in Christ Jesus. And when you see that life, you'll realize it's not you, it's him. The transformed life. The joy of a transformed life. You are living with God. I was reading a piece by Kevin Miller who was talking about an historical event. I love history anyway and I learned from its experiences. He's talking about how in October of 1871, the Great Chicago Fire destroyed much of the city of Chicago. But surprisingly, though there are many legends attached to it, the flames actually started on the other side of the Chicago River. So people have asked, how in the world could the flames jump the river to burn down the city of Chicago? Well, the river jumping fire is partially explained by the high winds that spread the fire to wooden ships moored in the river that spread across those ships and into the city. But... Even more important was the factor that in those days, the Chicago River was a shallow, sluggish sewer for the entire city. The Union stockyards in Chicago dumped all their animal waste into the river. People called it the Stinking River or the Bubbly Creek. It was so bad, the waste was actually combustible. The river would burn. All of this putrefaction flowed into Lake Michigan where there were drinking water intakes for the city. Waterborne diseases broke out. Every year through the 1880s and 1890s, at least 10,000 people in Chicago died from cholera and typhoid fever. In 1885, 14 years after the Great Chicago Fire, nearly 100,000 people died that year by diseases carried by the river's putrid waters. A city was dying in its filth. Finally, city engineers took action. First, they started digging 28 miles of canal. They moved more earth and rocks than were moved in the building of the Panama Canal. They set in locks and gates, and then on January 2nd, 1990, a worker opened a sluice gate at Lake Michigan, and the entire Great Lakes began to flow into the Chicago River, pushing it in a direction it had never gone. They reversed the flow of the Chicago River. They pushed that river, now flowing the opposite way, into the canal, into the Des Plaines River, into the Illinois River, into the Mississippi River, and out to the Gulf and to the sea. And this brought a huge flow of fresh water. And instead of shallow, sluggish, disease water making the community sick, the river now brought the city life. Some writers argue that Chicago would never be around today had this massive transformation never taken place. The American Society of Civil Engineers named it one of the great 
engineering projects of the millennium. The river and the city were saved and transformed. People, that's what Jesus has done for us. That's what he's done for me. He took in the stinking, putrid sinfulness I was a slave to in my life. And he died and paid for that. And then he who is the living water came to living me, live in me, and the flow of that living water began to run through my life. And it changed me. I'm a long ways from being the man God wants me to be yet. But I'm closer each day. And he's doing that work. I can't tell you today how good it feels to be able to tell you I am not the man I used to be. And let me tell you what, if you're a Christian today, you are not the person you used to be. We need to start believing and living this new identity that Christ is ready to release in us like a surge of living water. And when we do, when he does, you will experience the joy of a transformed life. We are dead to sin. We still struggle with it from time to time, but we're not slaves to it anymore. It doesn't own us. We are alive to God. He's living his life in us. And people, the more we see his life lived out through us, the more we experience the abundance that Jesus offered. The abundant life is the joy of a transformed life. Living the joy of relationship with God. Father, I have so much to learn about this, but this is true. This is real. This is the life you're offering, and it's available to every single one of us in Jesus. No one has a greater advantage, not Jew, not Gentile, not slave, not free, not Scythian, not barbarian, not anybody. We are all alike in sin, and we can all be made into the image of Christ. So, Lord, as we work our way through these daily devotionals, as we meet together in our small groups and learn to apply what we're learning and learn from each other. As we're coming to encounter your word daily and on these Sunday messages, I'm praying, God, you will do this work to help us to believe that the abundant life is a transformed life, a life you've already accomplished and a life you are already teaching us to live. God, may this be our joy, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.